1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Glory to God. Do you know this scripture by heart by now? And it says, In the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 32, Give none offense neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church of God. And so we know that God deals with three groups of people. He deals with the Jews. He deals with the Gentiles. That would be what you would call the heathen or the lost or the sinners. And he deals with the church of God. And he don't lump us all up into a big barrel and deal with us the same. Praise God. Folks, we got a covenant with Almighty God. Amen. We have a covenant. And he deals with covenant people different than he does with others. Now, tonight I'm going to talk about spirit, soul, and body. But I'm going to talk about it in relationship to children. Uh, you're going to get some understanding concerning your children. If your children are grown, well, then you, you have grandchildren. If you didn't do everything right with your children, and none of us did, but if you didn't do everything right with your children, hallelujah, we're a lot better. Like Pastor said, about the time we get them grown, we get real good. Hallelujah. We get it all figured out, and we got them grown now. You know, and we didn't know anything when we had them and when we were in our 20s. And I don't know about you, but I didn't know anything because I was an only child. I wasn't even raised around any babies. I didn't know the first thing about kids or babies. It's a good thing I had a good mama to help. And that my kids, when Colin was born, he had seven grandmothers. Hallelujah. Because my great-grandmother was still alive and his great-grandmother was still alive. And so I tell you, I never did want for a babysitter. Hallelujah. In fact, we kind of had to, you know, say no sometimes. They need to stay home every once in a while and be with their mama. And, you know, so anyway, it was a blessing. And then they had two adopted grandmothers, two people in town that just wanted to be their grandmother. The favor of the Lord. Hallelujah. Just two little old ladies in town. We're going to talk about children tonight being three-part beings. Three-part beings. A child is a three-part being. Just like uh, we are three-part beings. A child has a spirit. This is the little child's spirit. And also has a soul. And also has a body. So the child is three parts. And it's important that we recognize and that we understand that in dealing with our children. In dealing with our grandchildren. There's three partners in the creation of a child. The spirit and the soul are supplied by God. The spirit and the soul of a child are supplied totally by God. God supplies the spirit. He also supplies the mind, the will, the emotions. He supplies the soul. The body of a child is supplied by the parents. Now that is a miracle of creation that God has given us the ability that when a man and woman come together that we can make a body. Amen. I mean, it's a miracle. We watched on the Discovery Channel. I believe it was Sunday night after church. We watched a thing about children from conception to birth and saw the whole process. And if you ever watched that, I don't know how in the world you could ever abort one. And then they show that little four-month-old grin. Four months into pregnancy, grin in the womb. Show those little fingers moving, you know, those little legs are kicking. And it's just precious. It's just precious. In the Hebrew, every word in Hebrew has a, what they call a gematria or a numerical value. It will be so much fun when we get to heaven. Then when we get to see things about the Bible that we don't see from the English standpoint. But that the Jew knows, the Jew that studies the Torah, they know all about numerical values of words and things like that that we don't know. But God has put so much information in the Bible 
that's beyond the surface. And in the Hebrew, the word father is Abba, like your daddy. But father is Abba, that's the Hebrew word. And the gematria, or the numerical value of the word Abba, is three. The word mother is Emma, I-M-M-A. I don't know if they say that Emma or Ima. I don't know how they say it, but I think it's Emma. That's the word mother in Hebrew, and the gematria, or the numerical value, is 41. So you put those two together, 41 and 3, and you have 44, right? Everybody with me? We're doing a little math lesson right here. Adam, the gematria, or the numerical value for Adam, or mankind, is 45. And the gematria for man plus woman is 44, so we're missing one. The gematria for God is one. Deuteronomy 6, 4 here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So God, one, man, three, woman, 41, equals 45, equals mankind. Hallelujah. Takes three parts. Amen, to make a child. So a mother, a father, and God give us a child. A baby is born alive unto God. Some people say babies are born with fallen natures, that babies are born with an Adamic nature. People that say that still believe that children, if a little child, three years old, let's say, or two years old, was to die, that they would go to heaven. But what they say is that baby has a fallen nature, that baby has an Adamic nature, and that God just overlooks that because they're not at the age of accountability or because they're innocent in a sense that in the sense that they don't know any better, they don't know the difference between right and wrong, and so God just overlooks the fallen nature and takes them to heaven anyway. But when you look at spirit, soul, and body, and you see what the fallen nature looks like, and then you see God, and we know there are no fallen natures, no fallen spirits in heaven. That is so easy to see and to understand, that there are no fallen natures going to heaven. There's no sin natures. Let's put it that way. There's not going to be any sin natures in heaven. There's not going to be any sin whatsoever allowed into heaven. And when you study the scriptures and you go and you look in Corinthians and even in the Gospels where Jesus said, Ye are of your father the devil. He talks to the unregenerate man and he says, Ye are of your father the devil. This man's father is the devil. It just doesn't make sense that God's just going to take this little nature right here and he's just going to overlook this sin nature, and he's going to let one of the devil's little children go to heaven and live with him. When you see it on this board, you can see that's not right. That's when I knew this isn't right. That's not true. Babies do not have a fallen nature. Babies are born alive unto God. And we have a lot of evidences of that in the natural as we watch babies. And we watch how they respond to the Word of God. They will respond to things that are spiritual. And young children very easily see into the spirit realm. Many times will tell their parents, there was an angel in my room or something to that effect. They see easily into the spirit realm. And we'll see those things here in just a minute. We know that babies are born alive unto God. 
And the first reason, and the number one we just talked about, the spirit and the soul are supplied by God. And there is no way that God could supply a fallen nature for a child. He doesn't have any sin natures to supply for a child. He sends the spirit of a child from heaven. I don't know how he actually gets it into the mother's womb or anything like that. But there is no way that God could supply this nature and put it in a little body. We know if God supplies the spirit, there's no way he's supplying a fallen one for that child. The second reason, turn to Matthew 18, 13. We'll start looking at some scriptures. This is going to be very helpful to you, very informative to you, and very helpful in ministering to your own children, helpful in ministering to other people's children, should be very helpful to the children's ministers. Matthew 18, 3. Well, let's start in 2. And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know, for years we've read that verse and we've said, well, that means having the attitude like a little child has. And I know it does mean having a childlike attitude in one sense. It could mean that. But it's so much deeper. He says there, except ye be converted and become as little children. Well, how are little children? Well, they're alive unto God. He said, unless you become like this. He's talking to them. He's saying, unless you become like little children are, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, he couldn't be talking about attitude completely because, number one, you're this man. You ain't going to heaven. I don't care how good your attitude is. So he couldn't be talking about completely about attitude. You know, we say, well, he means teachable and so forth. Well, hallelujah. And that could be part of it, that we have to have a teachable attitude like a little child. But, on the other hand, doesn't matter how teachable you are. If you're this, you're still not there. You're still not going. Amen? You've got to make a change, don't you? Matthew 19, 14. Turn over a page. It says, But Jesus said, Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And what he's saying there is, Don't forbid the little children to come to me, because... That's what heaven's made up of, is just like little children. And he can't be talking about flesh and bones, and he can't be talking about souls. He's got to be talking about spirits, because spirits are what goes to heaven. He's not talking about just the fact that children are there. He said, don't forbid them to come to me, because this is what heaven's made up of, is people that are in this spiritual condition. He was talking about their spiritual condition, not their fleshly condition, not their size. The kingdom of heaven is made up of folks that spiritually look just like this. Amen? So that's number two. Number three, let's go back to Matthew 18. And let's begin in verse 1. And at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto them and set him in the midst of them. And he said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as a little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now I'm going to show you in that, actually you look at the word converted. I mean proof that he's talking about spiritual is he says, Unless ye be converted. You've got to be converted. You've got to change from this to this before you can enter the kingdom of God. 
So we know he's talking about little children are in the right spiritual condition. They're in the right spiritual condition to go to heaven. And he told those grown men, now you have to do something. You have to be converted to be into the same spiritual condition that they're in. And he couldn't have been talking about soul because possibly, you know, a child cannot even act right. Maybe, you know, they may have got paddled that day. And yet he said they're in the right spiritual condition to go to heaven. Amen. Still under number three, look at Matthew 18.10. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. So he talks about these little children. He says they have angels that are constantly coming before the Father's face on their behalf. And you say, well, what does that mean? Does this man have angels? This lost man, does he have angels? Little children have angels, we can tell from this verse. They have not an angel. They don't just have a guardian angel. They have angels, plural. They have angels that go before the Father. It made me wonder, okay, if I had angels as a little child, and let's just say as an adult, say I wasn't born again, do I still have angels watching after me? You may have angels assigned to you, but Hebrews 1.14 says, Who do angels minister to? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So they minister specifically to us that have inherited salvation. Amen. And so whether they minister to you while you're lost or not, I'm not positive. All I know is that little children have angels. They have angels assigned to them. Turn to Romans chapter 7, verse 9. Paul's speaking here. He's talking about the law and all different things, but he gets to verse 9 and he says, For I was alive without the law once, but when the, sin, sin, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. He's talking about that when he was a little child and he didn't even know the law, he was alive. He was alive unto God. For I was alive without the law once, when then the commandment came, and sin revived, and I died. And so we have a little child alive unto God, and then that little child, at some point, as they grow up, sin revives, and they die spiritually. And they need a Savior. That word alive means is the Greek word izun, and it means alive and quick. For I was alive. I was alive. I was quickened. I was quick. The commandment came, sin revived, and I died. Died means igu or slain. I was slain. I was slain by sin. It also means to be found spiritually dead. So he said, once I was alive, but then sin revived and I died. This has to be because now he's alive unto God. He's born again. He's an apostle and he's writing the New Testament. He's alive now. And so he can't be talking about now. He's talking about when he was a child, I was alive. And then sin revived and I died. The UBS New Testament handbook says, I was alive so long as I did not know about the laws which told me you must not do such bad things. I was alive so long as I did not know the law. I was alive so long as I was innocent in that age of innocence and I did not know the law. I did not know right from wrong. Let me just show you how this works. Let me give you an example. Say you got a little child, you got about a little three-year-old, three or four-year-old child and he does something wrong and mama paddles him. Okay? So now he knows mama don't want me to do that. Right? 
And maybe he does it two or three more times before he fully catches on that every time I do this, I get in trouble with mama and I get a paddling. Amen. And so he now knows that this is wrong, but he has no knowledge. All he knows is mama don't like this. It's not then that he's dead unto God. He dies. It's not then. No, it's not till that time when he comes to the point where he knows when he messed up and when he sinned, he knows I didn't just sin against mama. I sinned against God. And when he knows that, he dies. I'm going to tell you this is going to help you before it's over. We're going to get there. Turn to Psalm 127 verse 3. This is the fifth reason I put down. I'll put this born again man up here. He's sealed by the Holy Ghost and he's born again. 127 verse 3. This is another reason I know that children are born alive unto God. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Now you got this born again man up here. I want to ask you something. How much of a reward would that be for him to, let's pretend this is a baby. Don't give me a baby. Don't, I, I'm born again. I don't want a little devil child. That's no reward. I'm born again. I don't want one of these little devil childs. Do y'all? I want a reward from heaven. I want one of these little children. Don't you? Got my little baby here. You no, know, my children are born alive unto God. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Okay. Number six, Matthew 21, 16. Here's the number six reason that children are born alive unto God. Jesus said, and he said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings? Thou hast perfected praise. Let me ask you something. How could perfected praise come out of the mouth of this little thing? Especially when you combine that with John... John chapter 4, verse 24, you know this, you know this scripture. John 4, 24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And he said out of the mouths of babes and suckling was the perfected praise. Perfected praise would have to come from a spirit man. Hallelujah. This is not going to be perfected praise. Here's perfected praise. You can say, well, he's talking about baby Christians. A commentary I read said, out of the mouth of babes, baby Christians. Yeah, but what are you going to do about sucklings? Because I looked it up and it means to suck. Amen. So we're talking about unweaned children. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Number seven. Let's go to number seven. Number seven, three. First Corinthians 15, 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. So we have Adam here. We'll call this Adam. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul, and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. He was a living soul. The first Adam was a living soul. He was alive unto God. We've talked about this before in doing spirit, soul, and body, though, that Adam was not sealed by the Holy Ghost, that we're different than Adam because Adam was unsealed. Every man has free choice. Every man has to choose for himself whether he will be God's man or the devil's man. 
And so God did not create a robot when he created Adam. He created him with free choice, as we all have had, and he let him choose. And so he was not sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now the last Adam, Jesus, the Bible says in John 6, 27... Labor not, this Jesus, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Jesus was sealed. Jesus wasn't going to fall. Adam wasn't sealed. Jesus already had chose. He chose in heaven. He had already chosen, so he was sealed. Hallelujah. That's what the Bible said. He was sealed. God had sealed him. Jesus was sealed. So now, here's what we have. We have a baby born alive unto God just like Adam. Just like Adam, but not sealed. Not sealed at some point in his life. He has to choose God for himself. Mama can take him to the church and they can sprinkle him. They can dab oil on his forehead and make little crosses. From now till Jesus comes back. It don't matter. It's not going to change anything. He's alive unto God. I don't care if you don't baptize him. You don't baptize him as a child. He's still going to go to heaven if anything happens to him. Until that day he has to choose for himself. There comes a day he has to choose for himself. And at that point we become born again. And we know that, I'll give you the scriptures just so you can look them up when you get home. 2 Corinthians 1.22, Ephesians 1.13, Ephesians 4.30. All say we've been sealed by the Holy Ghost. The born-again man is sealed. We are sealed. We're not going anywhere. Sin does not penetrate our spirit. And therefore, we can't fall. Hallelujah. When we sin, we sin against our flesh. The wages of sin are death. We're going to reap it in our flesh. We'll have hell on earth. We'll die and go to heaven. Having hell on earth. Amen. So we have that. Number eight. The eighth reason that we know that babies are born alive unto God, is Luke 1.15. And it's John the Baptist. We know that babies have to be born alive unto God because if you look at Luke 1.15, it says, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. So he's been filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, this man right here, the Holy Ghost can't go in this man. The Holy Ghost can't go in this man. John the Baptist could not have looked like this. And yet he wasn't born again because redemption hadn't even been, none of it had been done. So he wasn't born again. He was just alive unto God. And in the womb, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And I'm telling you what, he's not the first, the last child that's been filled with the Holy Ghost from their mother's womb. Still not sealed. John the Baptist had died before Jesus did the redemption thing and resurrection thing. And so he actually went into what they call Hades. It was, it's really Hades. Jesus said, descend in the lower parts of the earth. And we know there were two holding tanks down there. We know that because remember Lazarus and the rich man. And the rich man was in hell. And Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom. He was in, it actually says Abraham's bosom in the scriptures. He was in Abraham's bosom. If you look that up, it says Hades. 
Hades, and it's in the lower parts of the earth. But we do know the rich man who was in hell could see over and see Lazarus and Abraham over there. And he said, Abraham, send Lazarus over here for some water, little dip his finger in the water to put on my tongue. So they were in a holding tank. They couldn't go to heaven. Why? Why could the Old Testament saints, John the Baptist, could not go to heaven? Because why? He wasn't born again. He had a sin nature. And he had to wait until Jesus died on the cross. And the Bible says Jesus descended. You can read this in Ephesians. He descended. He preached to them. And they received him. And he led captivity captive, took them to heaven with him. And so that's what happened. That's what happened. He was born alive unto God. He was filled with the Holy Ghost in his mother's womb. Now, number nine, the ninth reason that we know that children are born alive unto God is we have to look at how men get saved, how the actual salvation experience occurs. And so let's turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So for a child to get saved, he's got to come to the age where he can understand this. Now let me just back up a little bit because maybe I got a little ahead of myself. I believe we've understood this wrong until tonight. And because of it, we've been misled. We saw our little children... We brought them up in this faith and spirit-filled movement. They were going with us to sing and praise songs, and they were little. I mean little kids, and we brought them up in it. And so many of them, four years old or so, would speak in tongues. I heard one say the other night, my daughter spoke in tongues when she was three years old. And you know, I know as a parent what I did is I interpreted that, that my child was saved. And through the years, I told my child he was saved. And I would relate the story, although we had never led him in the prayer of salvation, because he spoke in tongues on his own. I remember one night when it happened, we were in the Eagle Theater in Seagraves, Texas, and we were having a special meeting with Brother and Sister Fisher. Brother and Sister Fisher knew how to flow in the Holy Ghost just as good as anybody I've ever seen. Boy, they were Pentecost. All the way. So we were having special meetings with Brother and Sister Fisher, and the Holy Ghost was moving. I looked over at Colin. He's four years old. He's sitting beside me in the theater seats. And I said, Colin, you want to go down and let Brother Fisher pray for you to be baptized in the Holy Ghost? I don't know why I said it. You know, it just popped out of me. He turned to me, and he said, well, Mama, just listen to this. And he just started praying in tongues. And so I thought, well, no need to Brother Fisher to pray for him. He's already praying in tongues. So I said, well, you know, he's saved, baptized in the Holy Ghost. Well, he wasn't. He was just alive unto God. Because to be saved, you have to be of an age to understand, first of all, that you're a sinner. You have to understand that you need a Savior. You can't be saved till you know you need a Savior. And not only that, but according to Romans 10, 9 and 10, you have to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, which we could get a little child three years old to do that. They have to have an ability to believe in their heart, not only in the crucifixion of Jesus, they have to have an understanding of the resurrection of Jesus and why he was crucified, why he was resurrected. There has to be some understanding there.
And they have to believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, and then they're saved. I think, personally, you can think what you want to, but I think we've called three- and four-year-old kids saved, and they weren't saved. They were just alive unto God. And kids that are alive unto God, just like John the Baptist could be filled with the Holy Ghost in the womb, they can speak in tongues because they're alive unto God. I believe we could go in that nursery right now and get them all speaking in tongues. Because they're alive unto God. I believe without telling them the plan of salvation, without telling them baptized in the Holy Ghost, we could just get them speaking in tongues. I know in the nursery in Birmingham, back when the joy revival was going on and people were running in the church, I mean it was just running, they were just running. Well, the little three-year-olds, nobody said a word in the nursery that morning. The teachers didn't demonstrate or anything. And they're singing a praise song in the nursery and all the little kids in the circle all begin to do like this. Dance in the Holy Ghost. Why? Because they're alive unto God. Hallelujah. I think it's so precious that they're alive unto God, but I think that we've made a big mistake in the body of Christ when we've thought that they were saved. Because then as parents, we weren't on the alert. We just said they're saved. And I know, and I'll just have to use him for an example. I remember, and later on, as I begin to see this, and I begin to apply this to some of the things in our spiritual life of our family, this just became so clear to me. And I remember when Colin got to be a teenager. Now, all this time, I've been telling him he was saved. You know, I think that can mix a kid up. And I remember myself, I remember when I was 10 years old, and I'd been to many revival meetings, many church meetings with my grandparents especially. My parents weren't faithful to church, but I'd been to many with them. And when you go to the Baptist church, every time you go, you hear the plan of salvation and you get an invitation at most Baptist churches. And so I had many opportunities to respond to the invitation and to be saved, but I had no conviction whatsoever until one night in 1964, in June of 1964, when I was 10 years old, and they were having an outdoor camp meeting in Winters, Texas, and the preacher preached all week long. I felt nothing. But on Saturday night, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit brought me under conviction. All of a sudden, I needed a Savior. Amen? And now I remember when Colin, he got to be, I don't know, he was a teenager. That's all I know. And we had a king-size bed still. And when our kids were younger and, and living at home and most of their lives in the evening, well, you know, early 8, 9 o'clock maybe, I would get in the bed and, and start reading or something. And, and the kids always come in there and pile up in the bed with me. And they, we would talk. It seemed like that was the place that they would share things. And I remember one night it was just Colin that came in there. And he's piled up in the bed with me and he tells me, I don't feel like I'm saved. Now, in my heart, I said, well, I knew he was. Because why? Because he spoke in tongues when he was four years old. But at least I was smart enough. I said, well, I know you are, but let's just go through this anyway. And so I went through with the plan of salvation with him and had him pray the prayer with me and just nail it down. Well, praise God, at least we did that. But I've just noticed, now, after God began to show me these things, I began to notice and think about all the preacher's kids I knew that had come up kind of like ours had in the charismatic, spirit-filled, word-of-faith movements, and they all spoke in tongues, and we all thought they were saved. And I just began to think about how many of them I knew that had just gone the way of the world, I mean, just get into trouble. I mean, just, just, they just went the way of the world. And lots of preachers' kids. I mean, we could just stand up here all night and name the big-name preachers. And I believe that's part of the reason. I really believe that's part of the reason is because we thought they got saved when they were three years old. 
And when they were four years old and they didn't get saved, they were just alive unto God. And then sin revived at some point in their life when they understood when they understood, when they understood that when they threw that ball at the window, it wasn't just mama that didn't like that, but that they had literally sinned against God by disobeying their mother or whatever they did. At that point that they understood that sin revived and they died. And all of a sudden they're sinners. Now they need a Savior. And unless somebody knows it, and unless somebody preaches to them, and thank God that we got the Holy Spirit as parents. We've got the Holy Spirit to show us and to cause us to be sensitive to our kids. I think we need a shine class because in the older kids' class, we give invitations for salvation. And I think we can mess a little kid up that's three and four years old because they want to go up there just because all the big kids are. And yet the children's ministers can be sensitive and just kind of bless them and send them back to their seat or whatever. But, you know, they're not ready to be saved yet. They hadn't got the concept yet. And so we need a shine class where we're not given the plan of salvation, but we are teaching them something. And then later on, when they come to children's church, they are old enough to get under conviction of the Holy Ghost and to be saved. And even that, we need to be discerning because sometimes kids can just come up because all the other kids are. You know, they really don't even know what they're doing yet. Hallelujah. And parents, we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. My grandfather, so sensitive to the Holy Spirit, wasn't even baptized in the Holy Ghost, just Baptist. But that night, when I went home from that revival meeting, because I didn't walk the aisle in that church, and, but I went home from that revival meeting that night, and when I got in the bed, I was crying. And I knew he knew I wasn't crying because I was lonesome to go home because I was going home the next day. Daddy was coming to get me the next day. And I'd been with him about a month. And I know Grand Grand, he, he was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And he said, and he, baby girl, and is this what it is? And I said, yes, that's what it is. He called Granny to come in there. And Granny and Grand Grand, we got down beside their bed. And I prayed the sinner's prayer. And I got saved when I was 10 years old. Amen. Because parents were sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Well, praise God. So be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Amen. Our young children that are still alive unto God... What can we be teaching them? And I think this is so important. This is what the Holy Spirit showed me. And I'll just give you the scriptures and we'll want him to turn there, but I'll read it to you. 1 Samuel 12, 23, you can write it down. It says, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and right way. We need to be teaching our young children the good and the right way. And then in Psalm 34, 11, Come, ye children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. You know, even as a young child, we can teach them to fear God. And here's the last thing the Holy Spirit showed me. He said, you know, one thing you need to teach your young children. I'm talking about two, three, four, five-year-old. And you know, nobody really knows the age of accountability. Now, just from observation, not because it's in the Scripture, and we couldn't go by this, but from observation, it seems like for a lot of kids, it's between eight and ten. It could be a little later for some kids, but it could be a little younger for some kids. But just from observation, growing up in the church which preached salvation every Sunday, seeing the kids that went up, sometime 8 and 10 years old is when people, it seemed like kids got under conviction. And here's what the Lord said, Teach your young children that one day, instead of trying to lead a 4-year-old to salvation or a 3-year-old to salvation, what you need to do is teach them this. One day, Jesus is going to knock on the door of your heart. You may be in church, you may be at school, you may be in children's church. No matter where you are, 
when Jesus knocks on your door of your heart, say yes. And when they're real little, from the time they're old enough to understand, two years old or so, start telling them. Now, when Jesus knocks on the door of your heart, say yes. And see, if you teach them that, and you teach them, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Now, when he does, be sure and say yes. Amen? Kind of like God did us. He said, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Choose life. You know, there's going to be all these times that we're going to see doors all the time and one of them's going to say blessing and one of them's going to say cursing. God's already prompted us. He's already told us. He's already said, choose life. Always choose the life door. Always choose life. See, He's telling us that, training us that way. We can take our little children and we can say, Jesus is going to knock on the door of your heart one day. Say yes. Invite Him in. Say yes. And see, it won't matter. We've, see, we've prepared them. We're telling them it's coming. I think we've made mistakes also. You know, on the other side, you know, as Baptists, I remember the parents just kind of left it up to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit, they'd take their children to church and, and leave it up to the Holy Spirit. And I think that we need to get involved more because we can be sensitive to the Holy Ghost and not wait, you know, till we're there and, you know, in church and be sensitive. And, and for different reasons, some child may not respond at church. I don't know why I didn't respond to the invitation that night. But I responded when my grandfather talked to me. 